Welcome to the Mighty Littles Podcast. Jen, welcome to the Mighty Littles Podcast. I'm super excited to talk to you today about your experience and um, your NICU stay. So why don't we start by having you introduce yourself to the Mighty Littles listeners? Okay. Um, I'm Jen Carlson. I'm a stay-at-home mom with my four kids. Uh, And where do you live? Um, We live in Sheridan, Wyoming. How old are your kids now? We have a 10-year-old boy, a 7-year-old daughter, and the twins. Um, They just turned five. Okay, and so we're going to kind of dive into the twins because they were born at 27 weeks rather emergently. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your pregnancy and what happened the day that they were delivered? Okay, well, it was kind of a long, interesting pregnancy. (laughs) It's, it started like at eight weeks, um, I started bleeding and we, we thought that it was probably a miscarriage. Um, but we went to the doctor anyways, and, um, I guess we were thinking that there was going to be no baby, um, but there ended up being two heartbeats and, um, yeah, it just kind of started from there. The bleeding was due to a sub chorionic hematoma mm-hmm. and so we bled I bled on and off for half of my pregnancy okay yeah. and then how did the rest of the the kind of the first trimester go so you had a little bit of bleeding but otherwise things were going okay babies were growing yep babies were growing perfectly yep everything was good from there they kind of noticed like my placenta um was a little different it was it was a previa they noticed that it was covering um, the cervix. And so they were just kind of watching that. But other than that, really nothing, nothing, nothing big. Okay. So then what happened? Um, tell me what precipitated the babies being born. Well, I, I was really, I, I was pretty sick for most of that pregnancy. And, um, I guess I just felt really sick one day and we had just gotten home. And then I just kind of, fell onto the couch (laughs) kind of like passed out almost and so I like called my husband he was working that day and he's like oh you need to call the ambulance so I called the ambulance and I was just really sick in and out of consciousness and um so we went they took us to Sheridan Memorial Hospital and um they noticed that I was low on blood so I had a few um blood transfusions there and they had given us the steroid shots as well. Um, they thought it was just early labor. And then they ended up flying us to um, the Billings Clinic in Montana. Okay. And what did they think when you got to Billings? They were stumped. They did not know what was going on. They um, monitored the babies and they were extremely like healthy, active, nothing wrong there. Um, some of that like a lot of it I don't remember because I was so um, anemic Um, so I think I had another blood transfusion and then they did a lot of testing like MRIs and stuff like that and they still weren't really sure so they decided to do an exploratory surgery because they were thinking maybe it was like spleen or gallbladder because I was in a lot of stomach pain okay so when you went in for that exploratory surgery what did they see? They were really shocked. They found that my uterus had 
I guess, like abrupted or I don't know the right word, but had abrupted and my placenta had actually grown out of my uterus and attached to my bladder and to like the abdominal sidewall. And it like my placenta had just pretty much taken over everything. Yeah. So essentially there's three types of things that we talk about related to the placenta and how it grows. So the first is placenta accreta, which is where the placenta Mm -hmm. is kind of sitting at the very bottom of the uterus and blocks the exit of the uterus through the cervix. Right. Um, and, and that can happen sometimes the, you know, the placenta attaches where it's going to attach, but that's Mm -hmm. a placenta accreta where it sits kind of at the bottom. Then you have placenta increta, where the placenta grows into the uterus. This is how I remember it. Placenta increta into the uterus. And and that's a bigger deal because now the placenta is kind of woven into the walls of the uterus. And it can be really difficult to come out. And moms can have a lot of hemorrhaging after delivery. And then you have what you had, which is placenta percreta, which is where the placenta gets so invasive that it actually grows through it, it, you know, it's usually low lying, then it grows into the uterine wall, and then it grows through the uterine wall, and can attach to bladder, bowel, abdominal wall, and it can cause the uterus to uh, rupture as well. And then you have can have a ton of bleeding, but usually then you have babies that are in trouble as well. So you had the placenta percreta. Um, so, and they found that when they went in for the exploratory surgery. Yes. They found like a huge, like blood clot, like it was really thin, I guess. So that was one of the reasons why they couldn't see it on the scans. So I guess it was really thin, but it was really big. Okay. And it just, they said I was kind of like a ticking time bomb. Like it, it didn't like rupture. They don't know how it didn't because it was so thin. Right. But Okay. And yeah. so when they went in for that surgery, I'm assuming you thought you were going in to see what was going on with the pain. And then at what point did they decide to deliver the babies? Um, I started hemorrhaging after, like really bad, I guess. And so then they decided just to take the babies out and just because they had to save my life by taking the babies out and removing my uterus. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so then you had this massive surgery and now you have 27 week twins. Were they boys or girls? Two girls. Two girls. Okay. And how much did they weigh when they were born? Um, Maya was two pounds, six ounces and Nora was two pounds, five ounces. Okay. So really close in size. Yeah. Yeah. Really close. Yep. And when was the first time you got to see them after you recovered from surgery and got to go to the NICU to see them? Yes, my recovery was really intense. And because I had had like, over 50 some transfusions or blood things. So um, I think a lot of that part I don't remember. Um, But I think it was about three days after um, they wheeled me down in there, and I finally got to see them. So yeah, that was pretty exciting. <laughs> what were your initial thoughts of the newborn ICU? Like when you first walked in, do you remember what you thought? Or even if it wasn't the very first time you went in, like those first couple weeks as you were walking in, what did you yeah. think about the NICU? What were you feeling when you were going in? I don't know. It was really overwhelming. Like I was like, oh my gosh, they're so tiny. I think that was my first thing was, and then I just remember feeling like kind of calm because I was like, wow, 
they have really got this under control. Yeah. <laughs> they were all hooked up to everything and they, they looked great besides just being so tiny. When you think about their NICU stay, we know that the NICU is always kind of some people describe it as a roller coaster, which I mean, a roller coaster, you stand in line to get on and you know what the end is. So it's a little <laughs> not a roller coaster. Nobody stands in line to go to the NICU. Um, right. I think of it more as airplane turbulence, right? Where like you're just kind of smooth sailing and then the floor falls out from underneath you and it's like, exactly. And then you catch your breath and then you realize you're okay again. So mm-hmm. when you think about their NICU stay, tell me how the girls did while they were in the NICU. They, you know, for as small and tiny as they were, they did remarkably well. Like their feedings, they increased them right away. Um, We did have a few bumps in the road. Um, They did have to have, I believe, two blood transfusions each. Um, And honestly, that was, that was really the only bump. I mean, and then, of course, they had like the, the Brady's and stuff like that quite often. Yeah. And... Where kind that of, would always panic us. Right. Kind of the normal preemie have to learn yeah. how to eat, have to kind yes. of lean down on your support, still have the heart rate drops but that you grow out of. Yeah. Yeah. But you no major. Kind of getting used to that. Yeah. No yeah. major complications. Not really. No. Just yeah. the PDAs, I guess, that um, Maya had her street but Nora didn't. How long did they stay in the newborn ICU? They were there 78 days. Tell me about kind of how you guys managed having babies in the NICU and having other littles at home, because at that point in time, you would have had a five and a two-year-old in addition to the babies and not being in the same city as where you live. How did you guys navigate that kind of family problem solving? Right. That was hard. We are so very thankful for my family and Ben's family, my husband's family. Um, they really stepped up and like my, my parents were pretty much, we had rented a house in Billings. We ended up renting in, as opposed to Ronald McDonald, mm-hmm. um, just because we had the two older kids and you know, they're five and two. So they're rambunctious and <laughs> busy. So we ended up renting and Ben, thankfully for his work then was so extremely kind he just we just stayed there the whole time we never came back to Sheridan those two and a half months we just stayed there and I had to stay there because of all my complications I was still having to go to wound care three times a week um so yeah we just stayed there and managed my parents helped a lot with the little kids. And... Yeah, that's awesome that you had so much family support. <laughs> what do you think was the hardest part of your NICU journey? I think just all of it. And I mean, like the the kids being there so long, I think that was part of it too. And then I was still so sick. So I think that really factored in. Like it wasn't just a normal like NICU stay, like mom is is good and I was super sick for for a long time gosh 16 months almost yeah so that was really hard I had I still had nephrostomy tubes hooked up and a wound vac on and a catheter and so I think that made the NICU journey a little harder (laughs) yeah just because you still had all sorts of medical complications yourself what was the best part of the NICU 
I think the best part was just having that extra support because I can't imagine bringing them home at the way I was feeling like, oh, and they got us on such a great schedule. And everybody was so supportive with my care and their care and just so informative. We had really good doctors and nurses. And I think it really helps when, when the communication in the NICU goes well. Um, yeah. Most of the time when I hear about NICU stories that are really not good, right? Not Not necessarily mm-hmm. that the babies had any complication, but that the NICU stay itself was just extremely difficult. Most of the time that is a communication problem um, and a, and a not feeling completely comfortable with, with the team. Let's be honest, doctors and nurses are like people and everybody communicates differently. And sometimes you just don't mesh with the people that are taking care of your baby. Um, but, but oftentimes Mm -hmm. that's the, that's the key behind a really bad NICU stay is that they, you just don't get the communication that you need from the care team. Yeah, we were lucky. We had such a great team. (laughs) That's awesome. What was it like, um, transitioning home? Now you've been in Billings for, you know, almost three months and, you have these newborn twins and you still have all of your medical issues. What was, what was that transition home like? It was, you know, it went remarkably smooth, (laughs) but yeah, it was still like, you know, the babies in the NICU, they don't really cry. They're so easy, you know, because you have a lot of help and, but oh no, like the second you get home, they're like normal babies. It's, they cry. <laughs> yes, we they, always yeah. joke. We, I always, well, I always <laughs> joke, I should say, you know, because people are like, my baby doesn't cry. They're not that vigorous. And I was like, because once your baby starts crying, your baby does not need to be here anymore, right? Like exactly. that means that they're waking up before their feedings and demanding to eat and they've got energy and and extra energy to spend whereas when they're preemies they're putting all of their energy into feeding and growing and gaining weight and now all of a sudden they're good enough to go home and yes (laughs) they do start to cry but if they can cry in the NICU usually uh, if they're a preemie they're ready to go home yes they were very feisty we were glad for that though they were little fighters yeah yeah it went good but it was it was you know it's just like bringing any other newborn baby home. Yeah. It's a, it's a change. <laughs> so when you brought your twins home, were you primarily breastfeeding, primarily bottle feeding, or doing a combination of both? How did things go? Because I know a lot of people ask me about twins and breastfeeding. And full disclosure, I bottle fed and formula fed my twins for a variety of different mm-hmm. reasons, which I've talked about in other um, avenues. Um, and so I'm just, I'm just curious with your medical complications and all of your transfusions, did you ever have a milk supply? What did you do for feeding with your twins? Yes. Well, I, you know, honestly, like they started me pumping, like right as soon as I pretty much woke up, um, they were pumping and pumping, but a lot of it I had to dump because I was on so many medications and so, and my milk supply was not we tried and tried but it just couldn't there was no milk there you had everything going against you for a good milk supply right so preterm delivery having had blood transfusions being ill not being able to put your babies to breast but having to pump 
um, still having other medical complications and other medications. I mean, you kind of had the the cards stacked against you from a milk supply standpoint. So when they came home, they were formula fed? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And so I always give the advice to parents with multiples that when they come home, when one baby eats, they both eat. Um, yes. How did you guys do with that? That is exactly what we did. <laughs> they, the NICU was so great. They got us, I mean, they were there for almost three months. So they were on the perfect schedule. We, yep, when one ate, if the other wasn't awake, we woke it up and we fed him at the same time. And we, we just stayed on that exact same schedule as the care times. Like we changed their diapers and did all of the care time stuff, just like they did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got off uh, one night, um, which was not my fault and it was not my husband's fault either. <laughs> I will say that. And, and it was because Lincoln was two pounds heavier than Elizabeth. And so he wasn't waking up at that four o'clock feeding time. Right. And so <laughs> they ate at 10 and or 11, you know, like we weren't on a strict schedule whenever the last, you know, feed was somewhere between 10 and 11. And Elizabeth was consistently still waking up at four. And somebody thought that Lincoln (laughs) is just going to sleep through the night. He's bigger. He's totally fine. So fed Elizabeth at four. And then Lincoln woke up at 520. And then Elizabeth (laughs) woke up at eight. And then Lincoln wanted to eat at nine. And I was like, this is the worst decision ever. (laughs) So... Trust us as twin moms when we say both babies eat at the same time forever, even when you start introducing solid foods, right? So you wake yes. up in the morning and you have a bottle and then you have your finger foods and then you have your next bottle and then you lay down for your nap and then you have dinner as a family and exactly. then they go to kindergarten and they have lunch at school at the same time and you still <laughs> yep. have family dinner, right? Like twins eat or triplets or, or multiples in general will eat yeah. from the minute they're born until whenever at the exact same time. Exactly. Yeah. And we were lucky because ours were both girls and they were, they're still the same size, pretty much exactly to the pound. Oh, wow. They, so yeah, we were lucky that I, you know, they were always the same size. When you think about your NICU stay, you know, you had help from your family and you had this house in Billings that you had rented. What were some of the most helpful and most thoughtful things that people did for you in order to help you get past both your own health issues and have time to heal, as well as being able to just spend so much time with the babies in the NICU? Like for somebody whose friend is in the NICU, what would you recommend to them that's super helpful for NICU moms? Yes. We, um, you know, we got a ton of meals and that was super, super helpful. And even when we got home to Sheridan, like they did meals. And then my cousin had like a benefit for us in my small hometown. And that was super helpful too. Cause you know, being in the NICU that long, it gets kind of spendy. Um, but yeah, a lot of the meals and just, you know, kind thoughts or, just like a coffee gift card in the mail or yeah. <laughs> just so many kind, thoughtful people that, or even just a letter. They wrote like kind letters about how they were thinking of us and praying for us. And, you know, that was 
that was really kind. Yeah. We really appreciated that. Yeah. For moms that are in the NICU right now who are just starting out on their journey or who are just coming home and still kind of processing what happened in the NICU, because I think a lot of the processing happens after you leave, what advice yeah. do you have for them? It does end. You do get to go home eventually. It might not seem like you will ever get to go home. It's <laughs> kind of how it felt, but you will. You'll get there. You'll get to go home. <laughs> yeah, just just hang in there. Stick it out. And it's and your baby's in the right place, you know? Like you it might like not seem like you just want to go home and take them home, but they're in the right place. Yeah, I always tell people that the beginning is really scary because it's so new and foreign and you don't you, you, you don't really know the language of the NICU yet you don't have your routine yeah. you don't really know what's going to happen so it's very scary the middle is kind of fun they're feeding they're growing you're seeing progress they get to work on eating and then the end is torture because right. you can't control when your babies are going to learn to eat and be able to take everything by bottle and that's all they have to do to go home. And now they look like big, yeah. healthy, chunky babies. And you've been there for so long. It's just so hard. And so I, I will mm -hmm. joke with parents and say, I promise I won't keep your baby here till kindergarten. And, you know, most of the time parents laugh and they're like, oh, my God, it feels like you already have, you know. Right. Um, but but it just it takes some patience. Uh, and, and we're all on the baby's schedule. Yes. Yeah, the end definitely was. They have to pass their car seat test. And then I think it was one of ours that like they were doing so good and so good. And we were going to go home tomorrow. And then can't remember with one or both had like a apneic spell. And so we had to stay like five more days. <laughs> yep. The dreaded, so, yeah. dreaded Brady countdown. Most, yes. <laughs> yeah, most hospitals have some sort of policy around being off of caffeine for around a week, not having any heart rate drops for three to five days, depending on when they happen and whether they're asleep and how much we had to intervene. And lots of parents talk about that clock getting reset every time there's a Brady. And it's like, I just feel like I'm breaking parents' hearts every time I'm like, well, there was a Brady overnight and I'm really sorry, but we got to start over again. But, but in the end, what everybody wants is healthy baby, healthy mom. Yeah. The only thing worse than coming to the NICU is getting readmitted to the NICU because that makes it even harder to go home the second time because now you yeah. have anxiety about what happened after you went home the first time. So, um, Hang in there with us. We will get your babies home. I promise. Yes. <laughs> yes. And ours, we had to like plan around like my wound care schedule and how I was going to get my schedule in Sheridan for wound care. And that made it so hard. <laughs> yeah, I can like, imagine. Oh, we got it all planned out. And then we're like, oh, wait, now we got to stay five more days. <laughs> Actually, we don't have it all planned <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah. Just kidding. So yeah, your plans, no matter how hard you try. You just kind of got to roll with it. Yep. We just we just roll with the punches that the babies throw, yeah. right? Yep. What, what did I not ask you about that you really want to share with NICU parents or, or NICU nurses or staff or anybody? <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, I don't know. I think we pretty much covered it all. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah it's, it's fun. And I mean, it might not be fun, but 
you know, when they get to that point where they get to wear clothes and just all the little milestones that, yeah, it's, it's an interesting journey, but so worth it in the end. Yeah. Makes all the difference in the world, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so <laughs> glad that the girls are doing so well and they, are they going to go to kindergarten next year? They are. They're all registered for kindergarten. Oh, so. gosh. Your babies are not babies anymore. I know. We're so lucky. They have no no, no complications. They haven't had any intervention. We're very, very lucky. Yeah. That's awesome. I think it's it's nice for parents of kind of those, you know, when I do, let me rephrase it. When I do prenatal consults, I'll go at 27 weeks and I'll say, you know, for the most part, 27 weekers do really well. And parents kind of look at me like, what? Um, But I think your story really highlights that the medicine of preterm deliveries and preterm babies has gotten very, very good. And 27, 28 weekers actually do really well. And now more of the focus ends up being on those micro preemies that are less than 26 weeks. And yes, things happen at 27 weeks and things happen at 32 weeks and things happen at 38 weeks. But overall, if you take all comers, they have similar stories to you where the beginning is hard, it's very scary, but now they're going to kindergarten and you'd never know they were preemies. Exactly. Yeah, so, so good. Yeah. And there, um, what I didn't know um, at the beginning of all this, because I'd never even heard of like placenta percreta and we'd never even thought about the NICU or anything. Um, but there's a national accreta foundation too, where you can just look it all up and gives a lot of really good information too. So yeah. just in case anybody needs information on that. <laughs> right. No, the national accreta information, March of Dimes also has information. Yes. yes. You know, the, the big thing when you're dealing with a placenta accreta, an increta, a percreta, is that you are at a hospital where they can take care of both mom and babies. So you need a a higher risk center, like when you went to Billings Clinic, that has a NICU that can handle preterm babies, but also has all of the specialist surgeons that mom is going to need because you need anesthesia for mom, you need general surgery for mom, you need special gyne-onc surgeons who specialize in all of the reproductive stuff of of moms and you need a blood bank that can get blood and plasma to mom fast enough to get you stabilized as well so for any mom that's listening who's dealing with or has been diagnosed with either accreta increta percreta you can go to those websites we just talked about i'll link them in the show link or in the show links on the podcast so that they're easy to get to um and you can kind of research what are the major centers around you. Yeah, that's so nice. That's one thing I did not know. I'd never heard of it in my life. Yeah. Then. And then also Donate for Moms is a really good one. Just a donation that it all the blood goes to the mothers that have had complications in childbirth. And so that's another really good one yeah. um, if you're looking to donate blood. So. Oh, that's awesome. I'll put the, I'll look that yeah. up and put that link down there as well. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing your story. I think people enjoy hearing kind of about your story and um, I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. You keep saying it, Walt. No, podcast. <laughs>